Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask, where everyone has something they can teach you. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler. In this episode, we are going to explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. As a CPA for the past 30 years, wait, let me say 25 because that makes me sound younger. I have seen it all when it comes to money and emotions. And if you think I'm talking about my clients, I'm not. I'm talking about myself. My relationship with money has been, and sometimes still is, an emotional roller coaster. Maybe that's something you're also familiar with. Good news. You and I are not the only ones. Our next guest is going to share their money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges as well. Buckle your seatbelt and enjoy the ride. Our next guest, Michael Burgos, is an entrepreneur, mentor, credit repair specialist, and author. With his main mission and passion being helping people understand simple finance, Michael started in retail banking with the intention of understanding all aspects of the banking business. He was quickly promoted to running seven bank branches. Michael then decided to open up financial services business, focusing heavily on helping his clients with improving their credit, budgeting, and asset protection. Michael also began to combine his knowledge of finance and his love for real estate into mortgage-backed securities. To learn even more about Michael's personal journey from facing life-threatening events and facing homelessness to building massive success rapidly, you can check out his recently published book, Undeniable, What It Takes to Repair Your Life, Business, and Legacy. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Bob. How are you? I'm good. I'm alive and breathing, so that's always a good sign. If you got two hands, two feet, no reason to complain. Exactly. Mike, you got into banking and retail banking, and I think your story's a little different than most people. Most people run down and say, I've got the best grades and I went to the best school, hire me right away. And I think it went a little differently for you. Can you talk about how you got into banking? Because I think this is important for a lot of people out there. Sometimes you got to do the hard work. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. Happy New Year. I'm hoping everyone who's listening to this can actually get some good nuggets on this podcast. But my story is not the traditional, ordinary, typical story. It started a little different. So I never had any background into banking industry um, prior to going into the banking industry. So I'm coming from doing every type of jobs, work subway, quiz. I had like a resume that doesn't look that attractive at all. I remember two years prior to me getting into the banking industry, I met a gentleman. He said, I went to the bank to ask for a job. And a gentleman looked at me on the way out. He said, man, I like your drive. You know, there's a couple of things that you need to work on. But I think if you're open for criticism, you know, I think you're going to make it. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want to kind of give you some criticism. He said, we got to fix up your resume a little bit. So I'll work on the wording for you. But I said, keep going. Don't give up. But since I got denied and everything like that, he helped me with the resume. But I never went back to the bank. I went to the mall and I thought the easiest job to do was to just do a retail. I hate the word sales. I always hated the word sales. <laughs> but I'm like, how come I can't get any other job? The only job that's there is like sales, commission. I'm like, I need something where it's like guarantee. And I got to a point where I'm like, okay, Mike, you don't have a degree. You know, you lost a scholarship for college. You got to find a way to do something. So let's just start retail. So I was working in the mall. And then at some point, something clicked. And I said, let me go back to the bank. So I got into the bank. Someone referred me. 
Now I went to my first orientation, but when I got to my first orientation, there was about 28, maybe 29 individuals there, plus myself. There's only two guys and everybody else were females. So, I mean, they look obviously more attractive than I do. So uh, I said, they have a huge advantage. <laughs> I'm like, how am I going to beat this interview? So they're going around, they're asking questions. Why would you work here? Why should we hire you? What's the benefit for us to hire you? So I sit in the back of the room and I'm asking myself, how am I going to stand out among 28 good-looking women and experienced? Some of them worked 25 years in the banking industry. I said, Mike, the only thing you have is you've been broke all your life and you've been homeless. So you got a short heart right here. I, no one can beat me on building relationship and building interpersonal connection. And the fact that I can communicate in five different languages. And I've been working on myself too. So I said, those are the things I have. Now, am I an experienced banker? Absolutely not. So when they got to me, they asked a question. I said to the boss, I said, look, let me kind of explain something to you. I respect everyone who's here. I'm willing to work for free. Just give me a try. Just give me a test. For one week only, I'll show you. I will build better relationship than anyone at this branch, and your current workers. Not only that, but the fact that I can communicate in five different languages and I'll take the lowest pay out of everybody else. And my goal is to bring more value to the bank. See, that was the closing right there for, for him. He's like, well, there's no way I can hire you for free. I said, well, I'm willing to work harder and you can give me the lowest pay. Pay everybody else. I'll be the last one on your budget. So that was kind of like the first step for me to get into the door at Wells Fargo. Well, and I think what was important there is that you were willing to put yourself out there without the expectation of, I want to get the top salary. I want to get everything handed to me. I'm willing to actually work for free. I'm willing to show up and I'm trying to bring value to the bank, not making sure I get compensated. So putting others before self, I think goes a long way. Yes. And it also, you want to lie in an interview, but you got to use your common sense. And some of the stuff, you know, I used to sell cars at the auction. I used to buy from the auction and $500 cars, selling for $700, for $900. So the fact that I had some type of computer skills, some administration work from my, you know, doing all of the paperwork and stuff like that, I said, look, that is equivalent to banking. That's what I told like I said, look, this is even more of a job to the banking because I had to sell the car. I had to do all the paperwork, do the title, everything like that, um, do the financing and stuff. So I have some type of uh, banking experience. And what makes a difference, the fact that, I had to create the sales. I had to make sure I inspect everything and had to make sure that I close a deal and making sure that the customer is fully registered, all of that. So I think those things really help, but I'm coming literally at this interview, never worked at any bank. So I never knew that I was going to get hired, but I said, you know what, Mike, you've been homeless. You could sleep on a 500 square feet. You don't need that much, but I'll tell you, I'll beat everybody else because they're going to ask you the question, how much should we pay? How much do you want? Hey, the ball is in your court. Write the check. I'll take anything. Right. So that's kind of like one of the reasons why I kind of get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other things, and I could be wrong, but I think you came from another country, right? Oh, yeah. And so there's obstacles there, but there's also my experience has been people coming from other countries have a lot more appreciation for what the United States can offer than sometimes the people living here. Can you talk about your journey from Haiti? here. And there were some challenges that happened to you that were probably life-changing, like for real. Yes. For people who are living here, and I said, if you're an American, you need to be like, yes, like you need to do a backflip, okay? Some of you guys are complaining. I'm like, 
What you guys complaining about? Leave the president. Do what you got. Just leave him alone. You know, we're not going to agree on everything, but trust me, this is paradise, guys. This is paradise compared to what I've been. I'm coming from Haiti, but I'm actually a Dominican, born Dominican and Haitian. So it's kind of equivalent being a Palestine and a Jewish at the same time. That's the best explanation I could say. Yeah. So you're not comfortable. You're not loved in either side. So you just have to really know when to claim certain nationalities for your own protection. And at the age of 12, I was crossing the border, was getting my passport from DR. And as I'm crossing the border of Haiti and we were stopped by rebels. So then I got stopped by the rebels and they were just pretty much checking passwords. They said, if you have a Dominican passport, we'll cut your head off. And I said, okay. So as we are, they're checking passport, they're checking passport. I was accompanied by my sister. I was about 11 or 12. That happened in 2002. And I said to my sister, I said, I got to give you the passport. So I slid the passport, she put in her purse. So when they got to me, they said, passport. Now I'm speaking the same language with this individual. He said, passport. I said, well, we are the same. So there's no need for a passport. She said, look, listen to me. You're not going to try to outsmart me. I need to see this passport because you can see the same language. I mean, there's a lot of people from the other side that speak the same language. That doesn't make you a Haitian, but I cannot give him a passport. So then what happened? He just pretty much pulled me out of the bus. It was a lot of back and forth. The people were crying. People were fighting, pretty much saying, hey, you can't just be at a young adolescent and this is just not going to happen. But these are rebels. These are like grown men. Like there's no way we could have fight them. One guy had like machetes ready to chop me up. So over, I think this back and forth is going for like a good 30 minutes because it's a lot of fighting going on there. So they're ready to chop my head off. And I can't tell you that space between from me being pulled away by someone, shoved me into a car, and then escape that whole situation. I don't understand why I can't remember how I got out. I remember like I was in the other car and I don't know if you've ever been to a situation where you just kind of like not thinking. Your mind goes in the ozone. Yeah. And you're asking yourself, what just happened? And I'm 12 years old and I'm saying, how am I still alive? What just happened? Like I almost died. I almost just got my head chopped. Yeah. In my back of my mind, I'm just like, okay, he's just going to just cut my head off. So that was the situation that I was in. So that whole entire day, and I said to myself, no one should deserve this treatment. Never look down at anyone. No one should be judged based on their color, their gender, their religion, their preferences in life. There's no one should be in this situation. Being in that situation, just because of how I look, and there's not much of a difference from the person that's doing it. It's not like we're talking about a white person doing it. No, no, no. We're talking about, right. we're speaking the same language. So a lot of people don't see things that way. So I'm saying something that is not common. Right. My own people, we speak in the same language. He just doesn't approve that I'm, I'm 100%. So that was a moment where it was like, man, if I can survive this, there's a reason why God put me here. There's a reason. Absolutely. So how long did it take from you from being 12 and being in this near-death situation to making it over to the United States? So immediately after I got my passport, we got to got home. I would say there's a 90-day period when I came to the United States. So I came to the United States October 5th on a Friday, 2002. But how I got there was a situation where I was not supposed to go. So my father came down 
just to really work on my sister's paperwork. And I happened to accompany my father because he's like, okay, I kind of want to know the area. Can you take me to the embassy? I said, okay, yeah, I'll take you to the embassy. So I was just pretty much with him to show him how to get there. So on my way out, I was never part of the plan. The plan was for me to stay there. We figured my situation out later. So on my way out, the guard ironically said, is this your son? And he was like, yes. He said, he's under the age of 18. My father said, yes. He said, well, do you know as a resident or as a citizen, your son automatically qualifies to become a resident? He never thought about that. He never thought of it. And then my father was like, I've never heard that before. He's like, yeah, if you just go and make a U-turn, go ask. And I guarantee he's qualified. He literally went back. He said, sir, can I just ask the consulate? Can I ask you a quick question? Is this true? He's 12. And then the guy looked up stuff. He's like, yeah. So come back today at 2 p.m. That's how I just really skipped my sister and make it to America. But the whole plan was working pretty much against me, per se. Yeah. That's how I made it to America. Yeah. Yeah. The message that I'm hearing right there is sometimes you just got to show up. You just (laughs) got to be there, man. You just have to be there and and let the universe do the rest. Yes. So there's a story that I never told anyone. So I'm going to say, this is going to be for you. And it's going to be for those people who are struggling. And you pretty much are using, you don't really know how to get out of your situation because of the trauma. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you guys, I'm going to take you guys back from between five or seven years old. We used to have, we used to see the United Nations trucks. I used to live next to a river in the United Nations trucks. After they use stuff, they have a truck that they drive their truck and dump all of the garbage, all the waste down to the bridge and down under the bridge or by the river side. So I was living around the river and then we used to see the trucks. So to us, it's good what Americans are throwing away. We're like, it's not bad things. Right. So we were little kids running behind those trucks and can't wait for them to dump the garbage. And we'll pick up shoes, use cloth, like Tabasco. We'll pick up things from the garbage. And that's how low we come from. Yeah. I come from. So if I'm here, it's grace for me to be here. And I'm thankful. But I'm telling you, for those of you guys who think you really come from a slum or a ghetto, and maybe that's what's hindering you, I'm telling you, when I go back, I said, wow, I can't believe I was one of those kids, like really digging stuff. No human being should be digging anything out of the garbage. I don't care what type of garbage it is. You should not. But that's where I come from. So that's the first time sharing this on a... Yeah. And, you know, those people that you see down at the rivers or in different countries that are going through the trash, like they don't have a lot of options. And they're human beings just like the rest of us. And a lot of us feel really like we earned our spot when, in fact, we sort of just got lucky. (laughs) Yes. Because we don't get to choose our situation when we're born. Yes. Well, if you're here, whatever the situation was, your mom abandoned you whatsoever. I mean, I'm also on top of that, abandoned, never knew my mom, found my mom door to door knocking, for those of you guys who don't know. So that's a whole nother story. Because when I start to explain those details, people said, I don't believe all of these things. There's no way a man, a human being goes through these things. No, I came here on October 5th. On October 6th, my stepmom said, man, I'm not your mom, but I have to help you find your mom. We have an idea where she lives, but we're going to have to go, we're going to have to knock on some doors. And that's pretty much how I met my mom. And when she saw him, she didn't know who I was. She saw a guy standing there. I saw a woman standing. There's a little bit of feelings there, but towards a good. Sure. Eventually, my stepmom was like, hey, this is your son. So I know I'm saying it kind of nonchalant, 
but I get to a point where I get become bulletproof. But again, it's not really a bad thing. God allows me to go through these things to prepare me for the future. Absolutely. The question I have for you, because I see this sometimes when people come from humble beginnings or from real struggle, and then they have great financial success, some people will choose to feed their ego or, you know, I'll never have that again. And they maybe lose a little bit of their ground. What would you say as advice to people out there who didn't have a lot or they've come into a lot more than they're used to? How can people stay grounded in their integrity instead of feeding their ego? Because it can be real easy especially in the U.S. with the media and advertising, social media, it's so easy to tap into ego instead of stopping and like you say, there by the grace of God go I. What advice would you offer to those people? If I were to advise people on this matter, the first thing is you got to know who you are. And before you know who you are, and there's a key word that they don't teach in schools called unlearn. I want you guys to unlearn everything that you learn from father, from mother, even it could be religion, it could be, you know, different upbringings. I need you to unlearn and then accept the world. Don't judge, accept the world and start to think for yourself. Think for yourself. I start to think for myself, I would say maybe a good seven to 10 years ago. I start to think for myself. What do I mean by think for myself? Not just saying this is white just because it's white. It's being able to say, hey, maybe they've been telling me to do this all my life. Well, how about I study why this is white? Just because they say, well, this person, he's a bad person. He's a robber. This guy is a bad guy. No, before I said he's a bad guy, there's an event that happened before he hit her or she hit him. So before I even say anything to that conversation, let me just not get into the conversation until I know for sure that I went into the situation I studied. So what's the best way to put it this way? So someone mad, you go, you had a bad service. Hmm. She's probably having a bad day, but she's not getting paid good enough to give you a good service. Her kid's probably sick. So before I react and I guess I just go and start putting a report and complaint to the manager, hmm, maybe I just kind of give her some distance. She just, she just don't know. She might be overwhelmed. She don't know how to utilize, how to be in that situation. So before I just judge her, she's not a bad person. She's just in a bad day. So that's how I would say people to look at things. So start to really unlearn what you think you know. So what you think you know, you really don't know what you don't know. Like you say, you don't know what you don't know. So I would say, guys, you have to become grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what you have because the only way you're going to go up is for you to be grateful. So you appreciate so you can elevate. Appreciate so you can elevate. But let me think about this, guys. Your money doesn't make you, you make money. But we just, no one is that, you're not, no one's that special. <laughs> you're not that special. If you ever go to a funeral, you look at the body, you're like, wow. This is my friend. This is who person that I know. There's nothing coming out. Like, you're not that special. After that, people poke you. You're nothing after that. So what's speaking on the inside, just understand it's a grace. You got to be grateful for what you have. And if you said to yourself right now, well, Mike, I didn't grow up into a religious home and stuff like that. No, what I'm saying is if you could do this and you can breathe, there's someone out there that's fighting to just do what we just do. It doesn't need schooling. It doesn't need education. But you got to remember, be grateful for what you have. I would say last but not least, to keep it simple, Bob, everything that goes up must come down at some point. So treat people right on the way up because on the way down, they might not put their hands to hold you when you're falling down. That's how simple. They might just go like this and let you just fall, hit the rock bottom. Let you fall. That's right. They'll let you fall. <laughs> That's right. 
I tell people that I want my friends to not let me ever get up on a pedestal. But if I do get up on a pedestal, please don't push me off. Catch me gently <laughs> and help re-educate me so I can do it better the next time. If they push you, we'll make sure you have a passion. <laughs> exactly. Prepare me for the fall. So, Mike, you've had this life that's definitely had its challenges. You're having a lot of success and you've really come from a place and maybe some people would say, well, it's easy to be grateful when you start with nothing, but you've cultivated that gratitude. Why is it important for you to pay it forward? Why is legacy important? Why is going out and helping other people achieve their dreams and achieve their goals? Why is that important to you personally? Well, it's important to me because even though I was in my situation, there were people, we still had a roof, our head. There were people who were sleeping on the stairs that were in the worst situation. So one thing I've learned in my home said, never look down on the poor, never look down on the poor, always take care of the poor. So that's recorded into my head. But as a young person, I used to see people like, you know, dying of hunger, like I've spent two days with no food, but I've seen people in a worse situation. And then when you're looking at a human being just like you, and you're looking at what's happening to their physical, and when someone is dying of hunger, it's different. Like you can see that, okay, this is not normal. You know, when someone's going through it, someone's suffering. So it's like if someone just like myself going through it, it's like, this is very painful. And another thing is, you got to understand that we as human beings, there's certain events that happen to your life that logic, there's no logic into it. When I looked at this time where my head wasn't cut off, I asked myself, how? Who did it? I can't think. Even as a grown-up, I'm trying to go back. I'm trying to remember the events. I called my sister. I said, you remember? She's like, man, how do you remember this event? I'm like, I'm trying to remember like what happened in there. Just like when I lost my scholarship, I didn't have a place to stay. A friend of mine, I made all the phone calls possible. Didn't get anyone to help me. And then the following day, I actually slipped into like an empty apartment until the maintenance guy showed up the following day. And he was like, man, this is trespassing. Call the cops me, whatever. But I was able to escape, ran away, throw my clothes. Like, I was able to kind of get out of the situation. But a friend of mine called me, said, Mike, I heard you don't have a place to stay. Like, I can't let this happen. I got 12 people. It's a two bedroom. You'll be number 13. But at least this is better than the street. Wherever you are, I got to come grab you. So when you say to yourself, he didn't have to do that. He got 12 people. So those are situations where it's like, he didn't have to do that. There was an angel in my life. Another thing is a high school principal used to kind of help me out a little bit, give me a little McDonald cards. That was the person that kind of assist me throughout my senior in high school because I was secretly living in a foreclosure home, couldn't tell anyone what I was going through. I had to hide that story and act like everything was good because legally you're not supposed to be underage and living by yourself. Right. But he knew it and he helped me. So there are certain people that cross your life. Even yourself, you said, wow, are they really nice to me for real? Like, this is weird. So to me, it's always like there's people who are placed there and God put them there for a reason. And on my way up, there's people that didn't let me go hungry, that got me like an extra shirt, an extra pair of shoes. Those are people that came and not because they had a lot of money and had to pay for my cell phone bill, help me get a little cell phone. So those are things where I said to myself, wow, like I can't just not reach out to somebody else. I just can't not do it. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think there is so much importance in paying it forward because most of us have been fortunate enough to have angels who have looked out for us even when we didn't even know we were being looked out for. 
And so I definitely think that's so important. And that's so amazing that you had these angels and that you recognize that those angels were there. Even if they couldn't do everything, they gave you enough to keep moving you forward. And even sometimes you just might need, it's not even money. Sometimes you just might need a good friend to say, hey, man, it's all going to be fine. Yeah. Because that day, that could be the day where you commit suicide, just that extra word, keep it going. And I've been in a place, I was saying to myself, what's the point of me being alive? It was 2 a.m. in the morning. I want to jump. I said, I want to, let me just jump. If I jump, it'll be easy. No bills. I'm dead. I'm done with this life. But then I said to myself, what if I don't die? Then I'm crippled. Then I still got to go through the pain. Right. But I'm like, do you really got the effort? Do you really got the strength to jump? But you know, you're just asking questions. Why am I here? I didn't hurt the one. I don't take drugs. I don't do anything legal. Why am I in this vicious cycle of failure and failure? It was just getting worse and worse and worse. So that extra friend that says, man, don't do this, man. You're young. You could do better. Like you're going to regret it. So those angels, those are people that's important. And to me, man, there's so many people that are going through, maybe worse than what I'm going through. Just this podcast alone could uplift them. Yeah. Just me feeding a certain town or donating. I don't know where the money's going to go, but that's another form of help. So I have to do it because someone out there don't have that extra person. And we are able and we should always do it. That's right. If you are able to throw a lifeline because there is somebody out there looking for it. 100%. Mike, we are at the Fast Five, which is brought to you by Cube Money, a cash envelope system made easy. Real-time financial awareness without the hassle of tracking expenses and carrying cash. We're going to jump through these and just top of mind, let's see what happens. Mike, when was the last time you purchased something and immediately regretted it? Like five years ago. Okay. And do you remember what you bought and regretted? I think it was a shoes. It was a red bottom shoe. I was like, it's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> With me, it's fast food. I immediately regret buying fast food. <laughs> can you think of a time when you didn't take your own financial advice? And can you tell us what advice you didn't follow? A friend was like, I pretty much didn't uh, vet the opportunity. It's like, yeah, I put my money, I double it in like 24 hours. I'm like, oh, let me do it too. And then it went to space. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I think the investments where I've lost money are ones that friends told me it was a sure bet. Immediately, I lose my money. Yeah, it's like, I have proof. I got my bag. I'm like, where the universe got mine? <laughs> yeah, apparently everybody else got my bag. <laughs> if you could use only one word for the rest of your life, what word would you pick? Resiliency. You have faced some extraordinary challenges in your life. What's the most challenging thing about money? When it deposits to your account. <laughs> when it arrives. All the plans changes. <laughs> you have a good plan until it deposit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there anything in your financial journey that you wish you could go back and change? I wish I could work a lot harder and start buying, investing much earlier. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're at our sweet spot, our M&M moment, our uh, money and motivation. Is there a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom you could share with our listeners to like help them slightly make an adjustment? So don't compare. Stay in your lane. Sell before you buy. What I mean by that, just kind of like I had a car, prices of cars are high, and I had a negative equity that roll in into it. I said to myself, you know what? Let me see the appraisal. If the appraisal comes higher, even if it comes to breaking even, 
I can still get the car and I can go get the same car at a lower price. So I would just wait and I'll wait until everybody think the price goes down and I can go back and buy another car. Another thing, whenever you see an opportunity, look at how you can make money instead of how you're spending money. Yeah. So if someone presents you an opportunity, try to sell it first to see if they have a market for it and then you put your money. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking with a guest who asked people what they would do with, I think it was $100 million. And most people wrote down how they would spend it instead of how they would invest it. Oh, man. Yeah. And so learning to change that mindset, right? Yes. To stop saying, oh, this is the way it goes. That was Dr. Martini, who was on another podcast who talked about really looking at mindset of how we look at money. And I think to your point that just because you have money, you're not so special, right? Correct. It allows us a lot of freedom, but we're all at the end of the day, human beings interacting with other human beings. Yes. You can always get the things that you want, but you don't have to always get it with your money, with your earned money. So be patient, create the passive income to get things that you want. You can sometimes spread yourself, but if you create a plan, the plan would work. But if you don't have a plan, the plan will work against you. Absolutely. So I would say my favorite thing in life is diminish as much expenses as possible, increase your income ability, ability to earn more. So that way your DTI is very low, debt to income ratio. So carry the challenge within yourself to create as much income as possible. You can get the whatever you want, the big house, the rules, maybe it might take you one year or two years, maybe it might take you 10 years, but so what? If you get it later, it's okay. But at least you're in a better situation. So on your way up, make sure you keep your head very low, just like the ain't store, 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 invest, and you'll be fine. Absolutely. Well, Mike, one of the things I've loved about this conversation, you've talked about some adversity. You talked about growing up in poverty. And what you didn't talk about was blame. You didn't talk about being a victim. You didn't talk about how it was so unfair that you got singled out on the bus or that you got singled out to be living by the river hoping for trash. You know, what I hear is an intensity and a resilience. You talked about that, a resiliency to just say, you know what, as long as I've got my body and I'm breathing, I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to keep looking for new opportunities and I'm not going to look behind me. I'm not going to forget what's happened and I'm going to ground in gratitude and I'm going to keep moving forward. For me, that's really inspiring because there are a lot of people that can sit by and go, oh, I didn't get picked for this and I don't have the car I want and blah, blah. And we can get into this really sad victim story. <laughs> and what I hear is somebody that said, you know what? I'm going to pick myself up by the bootstraps and I'm going to keep marching forward and I'm going to pay it forward as well because I appreciate all the little angels that came in and gave me that kind word, that gave me a food coupon, whatever it might have been. And I think for people out there to realize, I think you're right, we should be doing backflips for getting to live in a country that gives us so much. And for so many people, it is paradise, but we get lost in that. And that there are so many people out in the world that struggle immensely, that never get the opportunities that even some of the poorest people in the US get to have. And so, I really appreciate that you're out there paying it forward, sharing your message, throwing people a lifeline, even if nobody asked for it, because you know that there's somebody out there looking for it. And I just really appreciate what you're doing. Mike, so where can people find your website and where can they find your book? So my book is on Amazon. The easiest way to find the book is going to be 
Mike Burgos. It's going to be M-I-K-E-B-U-R-G-O-S.com. You'll be able to click and it's going to send you to the Amazon link. Undeniable. It's in English. It's also in Spanish. Right. My Instagram is going to be I, A as in Apple, M as in Mike, and then M as in Mike, I-K-E, B as in boy, U-R-G-O-S. So I am Mike Burgos. That's how you can reach me on Instagram, Facebook, Mike Burgos. I'm very simple people. If you DM me, if you ask me a question, most likely I'm going to respond. I believe that we all on the same ground. Again, no financial reasons to feel like you're higher than anyone else. But again, the diamonds are coming from the rough. The diamonds are the people that are going to struggle. So reach out to me. Feel free. I do teach on credit. I want to give a special shout out to Charlotte, to Ronan as well for making that introduction because I'm grateful for them to meet you, Mr. Bob Wheeler, to be on this live. But again, I'm on, I'm on Instagram, guys. I'm very simple. I mean, I love nice things, okay? I can communicate in English, French, Spanish, Creole, in Portuguese. So, you know, whatever the help that I can do to help, if it's a free consultation, we can do it. And it just kind of piggyback on what you said earlier, Bob, the comment that you make earlier in regards of the blame and stuff like that. Yeah. The word blame, take that word out of your vocabulary because blame is usually like, it's like a cousin of ego and arrogance. So they all kind of fall into the same line and then you have pride. So those families, you don't want to associate them. Yeah. Things happen. So big deal, right? But like I tell people, look, the best way I go into life is expect for the worst. So when the worst happen, you don't have to worry about anything. So if I teach you how to take a punch from Mike Tyson, all you got to do if you can survive the first round, you can be like, okay, well, I, I got a few punches like Mike Tyson. Then the second round, you know what to do. Yeah. But if you don't know what Mike Tyson punched like, then the first round, you're going to knock you out. So I look for what can possibly go wrong here. And when it does go wrong, when there's maybe a racial slur or a bad comment happened, so you want to ask yourself, can I compose myself and can I let it go? Because if you do let it stay into your heart, but then what happened is you give power to that thing. So learn to smile, guys. It doesn't cost anything to smile. Don't blame anything. The world is unfair. It's okay. Look at, I love Lewis Hamilton. I never liked to race cars, but I started looking into it because I'm like, how is this guy winning all the time, right? But unfair things happen to him sometimes, but hey, he's one of the best, you know, things happen. So just got to let it go off, but everything will be just fine. Lose the blame. There we go. Just let the pendulum swing. It's going to go to one side. Just let it swing to the other side. We all be happy. We'll be happy. We can all smile. That's right. Well, Mike, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I appreciate all your words of encouragement, your inspiration, and we uh, send you lots of love. Thanks. Thank you so much, Bob. Let's rock 2022. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us. Hello.